Hello and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, Elsio123, aka Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. And we are here today to talk about Surface Tensions, which is an episode that, as described, has a lot of tension. Yes, it sure does. I feel like uh, this is a very awkward episode, but in a really great, entertaining way. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about the masked balls and the funerals, but I feel like the awkward dinner party is like a sleeper staple of PLL culture. Totally agree. Totally agree. Especially when the Montgomery's are involved, because my God, that family. <laughs> yes yes we have like (laughs) we have like a dinner party that starts out as like a french farce of sorts and then like takes takes a turn into just like david lynch territory so we we have that in this episode we have i believe our third fake murder weapon of the series making its debut um i think we had trophy ominous horseshoe and now hockey stick uh is being introduced in in this one um so we've got that going on we have uh, and we just have a lot of nice character moments uh between the liars and between uh also between like the liars and their parents between the parents and one another um just a lot of stuff going on and peter hastings demonstrating that spencer's complete lack of chill is clearly genetic <laughs> Yes, I feel like we also have um, Garrett officially. We've been we've known that Garrett was was bad, but now the liars are finally figuring out that Garrett is not the ally he has been pretending to be. Yes, Officer McFriendly is not so friendly after all. <laughs> yes, the throwaway line that Mike was getting a gun to end it all. Just kind of, we'll have we'll talk about that later. We yes yes we we will get there. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> you want to take us to this opening scene? I, I would uh, I would love to. Um, in the Marin kitchen, the liars are talking about Emily being Hannah's new roomie. And Hannah delightedly declares it'll be like a sleepover all the time. Uh, they're also discussing whether Garrett ever followed up with Logan Reed as he, Garrett, I think, still has Ian's $10,000 and Spencer could use some of that money to replace Melissa's ring. They're hesitant to talk to Garrett as so not to antagonize A and create another public embarrassment like the fashion show, but they also suspect A may have murdered Allison. Just then, the doorbell rings. A, who has lovely manners and a wonderfully placed callback, has sent them a welcome basket (laughs) with a note. Two little liars under one roof. You're making it too easy. Emily looks spooked, but Hannah is just mad that it's not even good chocolate. <laughs> yes, Hannah quickly uh, quickly throws the candy away. Um, Ari- Asparia has a little bit of, like, concerned eye contact at the notion of this Emily-Hannah sleepover that will never end. Uh, what do you think that that eye contact is meant to convey? 
Well, I actually, that's one of the things I really like about this episode is that it lets us know in a lot of different ways that the liar friendship exists in the larger universe. Like, you get the idea that Sparia has talked about Hannah and Emily living together, like, between themselves, and that this is maybe a reference to, like, what it would be like to live with Hannah all the time that those two have talked about. Um, and you, you get, like, a few shots that are like that in this episode, and it's it's nice. I think that they have discussed it, and I think that they both perhaps have a feeling of like better her than us. Like perhaps they feel that there would be some challenges to sharing a room with Hannah long term. Yeah, yeah, I like that idea. I like that idea. I mean, I feel like there's also an alternative reading that they're like, is something is something queer going on between these two? Like <laughs> Hannah seems awfully delighted at the prospect of sharing a bedroom with Emily. She does. She does. Perhaps Spencer and Arya are wishing they could have their own sleepover every night. Unknown. Undeclared. Yes, yes. We can read a lot into that eye contact. Um, After the credits, we are in Arya's room. She is looking through dresses with her mom. Um, The Montgomery's are hosting a dinner party, and Arya wants to look nice. We can tell that there's some uh, excitement about this dinner party because this is the first one since Ella has moved back in. Uh, Mike, however, he is not so excited. He is slamming doors and stomping away, um, not coming down to eat breakfast. Aria quickly covers for him, saying that he eats at school. Um, Ella finds a dress that she likes for Aria, and uh, when Byron comes up and they kind of talk about who can and can't make it to the party, Byron wants to invite his boyfriend, Ezra Fitz. They weirdly talk about this situation in front of Aria without asking if it might be a little bit strange for her former English teacher to uh, to be their dinner guest. Once again, a great parenting moment for the Montgomerys as they decide that Ezra indeed can come and can bring a date. Yes. It seems clear that Byron wants to, like, follow up on whether or not there was a vibe when President <laughs> them in the church pew at Ian's funeral um, and he also says to Ella that he, he'll tell Ezra that he can bring a date to which Ella responds that'll be interesting why will that be interesting are they going to try swinging <laughs> like, and Aria looks like completely wary about this plan because there is nothing so awkward as your parents trying to start a thruple with your secret boyfriend slash adult male former English teacher <laughs> Oh, man, what a relatable situation Arya finds herself in here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. At the Marin and now Fields house, Emily is in the kitchen early and making egg white omelets and pouring orange juice into a pitcher and setting a table with folded linen napkins. And I love, love, love that we don't actually need any dialogue here to tell us how weird this is. We have seen enough mornings of the Marins standing at the kitchen island, breakfasting on like a piece of fruit or maybe having a cup of coffee. Like I think once Hannah ate part of a breakfast sandwich that Caleb made and like shoved into a plastic bag on the go. Uh, And we've seen enough breakfasts at Emily's house to understand this is how things are done in Pam's world. The family sits down and eats a well-balanced meal together. I actually don't think we've ever seen any meal other than like pizza be served off this table in the Marin house. They're constantly either going outside to the patio to eat 
or they're standing at the kitchen island. So this is like well out of everybody's comfort zone. Uh, and Hannah kind of is like, like clearly indicating that it's weird. Uh, but her mom is happy and says she might just go for the daughter upgrade. I can guarantee you that the Marins have never had this many breakfast dishes in their lives before and possibly never this many carbs before work and school. Uh, Emily's shoulder is hurting from a new training regimen. And also we learned that Hannah's dad called and he'll be around later. Yes, I love this dynamic. Um, it feels very true to me that in the absence of Pam, Emily would kind of turn into a mini Pam um, that feels like something that could happen when one's mother is away. Um, I also really love how Hannah um, Hannah is kind of amused by this situation, but perhaps a little put off by it. And I think that, uh, you know, Ashley has the line, I might go for the daughter upgrade. I feel like all of this is great foreshadowing for um, in season five when Allison comes to live and with them and is sort of play acting as this perfect daughter for Ashley and Hannah ends up feeling really displaced. I don't think that Hannah's feeling necessarily displaced here, but I feel like she's maybe bristling slightly at how um, over the top Emily is in her, you know, making of breakfast and such. That's so interesting. Cause I have a note later about Hannah living with Emily versus Hannah living with Allison. So mm. yeah, lots, lots to think about with that for sure. Totally. Totally. Um, over, over at the Hastings house, Peter and Spencer are talking about Toby, who is going to be working on clearing out the Hastings yard. Peter asks if Toby is up for it. Spencer insists that Toby can handle this project and maybe later can help with the fence. Peter has the line, there's not going to be a fence, of course, referencing the fence between the, uh, the De Laurentiis and Hastings yards, which, you know, there never has been for you, Peter. Um, apparently the, uh, the De Laurentiis or Jason was, was building on their property. And Peter says, it's just like that family to be crossing lines. Yeah. Uh, based on what we know later, the last part of that sentence and into my pants was silent. <laughs> yes. Yes. We can just imagine it was there. <laughs> um, over at Prezra's, Aria tells her adult male boyfriend that she doesn't want him coming to dinner. She instructs him to say no thanks, but he has already, clearly without consulting her at all, said yes. She asks him to cancel, make up an excuse, etc. He will not, and tries to tell her this is her plan, it's not, for her parents to get used to seeing them together. Despite the fact that she just clearly told him she's not comfortable with this, uh, you know, moments ago... He gives her a hard sell and says he will not be bringing a date. He just wants to have an adult situational dinner party with her and her family and some people he barely knows at all. She caves. So why I feel like they've kind of flipped on this issue a little bit. Why do you think that is? I think it's because Arya is having some second thoughts about her relationship with Prezra. Okay. Okay. Because of Jason or just in general or maybe a little bit of both? I mean, I think that it is, uh, I, I think her interest in Jason is a symptom of a larger problem with her relationship mm -hmm. with Prezra, but she, I think she's just disappointed that he tends to like, he tends to always be the one who is telling her what to do. Uh, I think that she's, I, I think she's just kind of tired of it, I guess, um, 
is how it seems to me. And also she has these things that she can talk about with Jason that she can't talk about with Prezra. And also Prezra over the last few episodes has been at, I feel, a, a peak of insufferable Prezra. So I, I would not fault Arya for getting a little fed up with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I also feel like there's kind of this thing happening where Arya, Arya's been so all in on the on the Presria relationship, and it's like everything's been about Ezra and and you know protecting their relationship at all costs. And I feel like she she is kind of just waking up to the fact that there might be other options out there. Like Jason, he may not be like the perfect guy; he's still significantly older than her, seemingly, um, but he's he's another person and I think she's kind of like having this moment of oh it doesn't have to be I don't have to sign my life away to this man at the age of 16 like there might be other people out there who uh could potentially be a a better or different fit agree agree um at school Hannah and Emily are walking in together Hannah asks if Emily is planning on making French toast tomorrow Emily quickly responds does your mom like French toast um hannah wants emily to relax and emily says that she doesn't know how to do that such a pam fields response um they overhear caleb arguing with somebody and he comes over he pinched some guy's phone but now he won't pay oh the life of a teen phone hacker (laughs) so dangerous um hannah wants caleb to go legit whatever that means like getting a job at the apple store or something like what is she referring to here um but caleb doesn't want hannah to fight all of his fights for him, especially in the aftermath of her standing up to his foster mother. And then we have kind of this interesting shot of seemingly A, watching them from a car as they go into the school. Yes. Um, I have a lot of comments here. First of all, Emily, everyone loves French toast. You should definitely make that. You are a guest in someone's home. Uh, Second, I feel like when, when, Hannah says like you know Emily says she doesn't want to be a bad guest and Hannah says you're not a guest it's your house too that generosity of spirit I feel is absolutely in keeping with who Hannah is Mm -hmm. when Emily is staying there and it's such a contrast to who Hannah is when Allison is staying with them Um, Mm -hmm. so I really I I really like that a lot Um, (laughs) also I just feel like uh, w- like Hannah at one point when she's talking to Caleb asks if his foster mom is still sending the checks and Caleb is like, well, yeah, but that's just room and board. I need investment capital. And it's like, okay, is he paying rent at Lucas's? Is he living on his own? What's he investing in? There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot swirling around around Caleb this week. And when, um, when Hannah says if there's... Um, you know, if, if he needs money, she could, you know, help him out. And Caleb basically, like, goes off in a huff of fragile masculinity after Hannah makes that offer. Yeah, I feel like this is an uncharacteristic for early seasons Caleb uh, moment of, of feeling like his masculinity is being threatened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, I feel like this is one of the first, uh, one of the first times that we get something that really, like, they do to the point of like overuse by the time we get to the final seasons of a black car that may or may not be observing the liars. Right. It could be the police. It could be a, it could be Jenna who can see this week. It could be somebody who's double parked. Like, yeah, you just (laughs) never, you never know, but yeah, we get the first, 
the first ominous black car. Um, back in Montgomery land, Byron talk yells at Mike to get him to come to the family party. Mike is dismissive and disinterested and keeps looking at his dad's face by using a side mirror that looks like it's been pulled off a car door and is now sitting on Mike's desk. It's like very obviously stolen, but Byron is too self-absorbed or entranced by the sight of his own face to notice. As he leaves, we see that Mike has edited the objects maybe closer than they appear to say parents, because that is what troubled youths do. Uh, you know, we t- we've talked so much about the poor parenting going on in the Montgomery household, but like this episode really takes the cake. Mike is clearly struggling, like something is going on here, but Byron has no clue of how to relate to his teenage son because he can't, you know, mansplain literature to him the way he can to his daughter. And he's completely prioritizing their family looking perfect from the outside at this dinner party, rather than trying to figure out what's going on with Mike and, and actually like talking to him in a real way. Yeah, I feel like we don't know when the last time either of the Montgomery parents had an actual conversation with Mike. I don't know if they've ever done so since they got back from Iceland, honestly. Uh, And it's a nice touch. Mike has, uh, I assume, an unstolen uh, Icelandic flag on the back of his door. Mm, mm, That is a nice touch. That is a nice touch. Uh, parents and Mira are closer than they appear. Oh, Mike. That's like such a, I, you know, we've talked about this before, but like Mike, a lot of the characters on this show who are teenagers don't really feel like teenagers. Mike is like the most teenager character on this show. And that's like such a nice teenage touch, I feel. Agree. Um, so over, over at the Hastings yard, Toby is clearing things. Oh, what? The part of the Hastings yard that's like actually a national forest, but with deck chairs. <laughs> Right, right. The just the 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 Hastings house is just this like big amorphous beast that just kind of goes back and back and back. Um, Toby is clearing things out. Spencer is really enjoying. Uh, she's like about to go into a role play mode here. She wants to sit and fan herself while she watches Toby and or maybe make him a grilled cheese sandwich. Spencer has these weird moments where like domesticity with Toby weirdly really turns her on, and this is one of them. Um, Peter arrives and Toby has ideas and sketches about what uh, what could be done with this space back here. Toby is not an architect, but soon enough he'll be a teen architect. Spencer looks on hopefully as Peter regards the sketches. He seems to really like them. I feel like he might just be humoring Toby a little bit, but uh, as soon as Peter is more or less out of sight, uh, Spoby starts making out in celebration of Toby's sketches being mildly accepted. Yeah, I I mean, this is an amazing part of the yard. There's also a cart full of dead plants in the background for no reason, uh, which is a, an interesting an interesting note on the Hastings backyard and how many dead things tend to turn up in that area. Um, also, there's a part where Toby says when he gets a job these days, he starts doing it before anyone has a chance to change their mind. And it's like, Toby has been offered at least four jobs despite having no discernible skills. So I think he's doing fine as a mediocre white man in this world. Plus he's like, now he's Toby teen architect of those sketches, which they do show us on camera. My favorite is definitely the first one because it's just a drawing of the De Laurentiis and Hastings houses with three lines sketched around the barn that say new edition. Great job, Toby. Keep going, you white straight cis man, you. 
Oh, I know. I know. I, I do have to say, like, Toby Cavanaugh, teen architect, is, like, it's such a weird twist for this character that I kind of love. And then, weirdly, like, his woodworking is always a constant, but then he's going to become a police officer, like, out of nowhere. Went to police academy in a week. <sighs> Indeed. <laughs> well, that's how, I mean, he probably took a correspondence class to become an architect overnight. So, it's like... <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> back at school, Aria waltzes into her mom's classroom, only to find her mother talking to floppy-haired heartthrob Jason De Laurentiis. He was at the school to talk to the guidance counselor about working in a program for at-risk youth, stoners in training, like he was, to tell them all there's life after high school, even if he can't actually remember any of it. Again, we see him interacting with Arya as if they're both real people and revealing actual details about himself and his life and his motivations. He thanks Ella for the note she sent his mom after the fashion show and then asks if he can bring anything to dinner. Yes, Ella has invited him to the dinner party as well. Arya looks like she can't believe that she's about to be thrown into yet another French farce screwball comedy, but Ella diverts her by asking directly about the fashion show and whether anyone at school is terrorizing her. Arya minimizes the fashion show disaster, calling it a stupid prank. And as they leave, Ella drops the news that Mr. Fitz can come and Arya should get used to calling him Ezra. And wow, the look on Lucy Lucy Hale's face at that moment was the MVP of the episode. Oh, she has so many good faces in this episode. Yeah, I feel like they are... Jason and Arya are like undressing each other with their eyes in this scene a little bit like there's there's a lot going on I have to say I don't know if Drew Van Acker is the greatest actor he's really good though at playing this kind of like slow smoldering chemistry with Lucy Hale I think um and uh yeah it's it's yeah I I like their dynamic and oh gosh just like lol forever at Ella you probably want to get used to calling him Ezra just oh ella oh ella you have no idea um over in hannah's room we uh (laughs) we have this great scene where hannah is loudly singing along to her music while flipping through a magazine while emily tries to study emily uh at first tries to get hannah to quiet down by saying her name and when that doesn't work she hurls a stuffed animal at hannah who's offended for about two seconds before asking how she sounded as she was singing along Hannah wants to do a video together, like a music video. Aren't there enough weird videos of the four of you circling around this town already? Um, Emily puts on her her cream on her shoulder, which we, of course, will later learn is her HGH cream, um, and asks about Caleb, seeming vaguely disapproving when Hannah reveals that Caleb still has business. Um, She asks how Hannah feels about it. And Hannah, who still is getting used to figuring out how to talk about her feelings, shoves her earbuds back in and resumes flipping through her magazine. Yes, I love the friendship scenes between Hannah and Emily in this episode. And I, I really like this just as the as the season goes on and we see them uh, being roommates. Uh, it's really, it, it's a great era for Hannah Lee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally agree. Uh, the next morning, Aria is at Emily's locker asking how it's going at Hannah's. Emily says it's great and repeats Hannah's line that every night's a sleepover, even school nights. Uh, this is just another wonderful friend scene, uh, this time between Aria and Emily, because Aria's facial expression picks up on the not 
you know, not so fine subtext, immediately her eyes scrunch up and she says, "Uh uh-oh, and then listens to Emily's assurances that she's lucky things have worked out the way they have with increasingly skeptical eyebrow work. The conversation is cut off by Spencer, who wants to know if Emily's talked to Garrett yet. She is not. She's been really busy. Spencer asks if they just want her to do it. Yes, Emily absolutely wants that. Uh, And she says Spencer is better at getting people to talk anyway. Spencer is obviously flattered enough by this info to want it repeated again. I am, she asks. And Aria cosigns, you are. Oh, man. Um, Spencer... Yeah, Spence, uh, gosh, this scene is really fun. I love Arya's little, uh-oh, like that's such a, that's such a great moment for her. Um, they talk about, Spencer and Arya start talking about this dinner party and Spencer insists that the Presria situation will go okay. Um, but when Arya starts talking about how Jason is going to be there, Spencer is clearly concerned at the prospect of Jason being in any of their houses in a way that makes it seem like maybe she hasn't told the liars the extent of her father's concern about Jason. I don't know. Something about the way that she's kind of like, she looks concerned, but she's not really expressing that to Aria. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think that, I think that Jason, uh, the, the thing between Jason and Peter and Jessica is something that Spencer doesn't exactly understand. And I don't think she wants to tell her friends about it until she has a clearer bead on exactly what it is. Um, and I think that's wanting to protect her dad as much as it is out of wanting to protect like anyone else. So I think that's what's going on. But I, I really like when Arya's is talking about Jason being invited to dinner and Spencer says, in your house? Like what kind of a dinner party is Ella having? She's just going to like shove him a plate out the back door and he'll like sit in the yard and eat. Yes, Spencer, in their house. I feel like that's what the Hastings do when Toby comes over. Like, they're like, Toby can't come inside to eat his lunch, Spencer, but, like, he can eat out in the yard. Just make him a sandwich. You can make him a grilled cheese. It'll be fine. <sighs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Um, we cut over to Spencer interrogating Garrett. I really love how Spencer is kind of in cop mode here. Her arms are crossed. Her voice is a little bit low. Um, Garrett says that Logan Reed quit his job and Spencer quickly surmises in, I feel like sort of an approximation of Olivia Benson here. She scared him. Uh, No one has seen Logan Reed for a week. Uh, Garrett insists that he'll find him, but he puts the emphasis back on Ian um, saying that, you know, Ian, everything comes back to Ian and there's probably going to be some loose ends that they'll never really figure out. And I actually kind of forgot how interesting this Garrett throwing the suspicion on Ian plotline is. I just, I feel like when I think about Garrett, I lump him in with all the sort of, um, you know, miscellaneous Rosewood cops, but I forgot that how much like he really has his own particular storyline here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Uh, Ella is at the Marin house where she and Ashley have plates of pound cake and glasses of iced tea, both of which I assume were made by Emily. Uh, They talk about the fashion show, which Ashley hasn't pressed Hannah on. Uh, Ashley kind of says, well, it was probably just mean girls. Ella suggests that the girls are maybe being, and it may have been happening for a while, and they're just now noticing. Ashley agrees with her and mentions the fact that Allison was killed, Hannah was hit by a car, Ian in the bell tower happened, etc., 
how strange that with all of these extremely worrying, sometimes life-threatening events, it's the fashion show that's got these moms concerned. But okay, better late than never. Um, Ella is delighted to have someone who believes her and admits that she hasn't talked to Pam or Veronica about this yet. Ashley thinks they rolled over too quickly to the Hastings on the therapist liar split up and that that was just Peter Hastings, who, as she says, never met a problem he couldn't buy his way out of. Yeah, you know, in that same way that you were talking about Spencer and Aria having like private conversations about Emily and Hannah's friendship, I really love the idea that even though the parents are often presented as kind of this like united front, um, what was what did we call it? An obliviousness of parents. Uh, I really enjoy how you can tell that they're not always on the same page here, that they really are coming at this whole situation from different sides. And I love the idea that Ella and Ashley can acknowledge between each other that like, you don't talk to the Hastings, you don't deal with the Hastings, like the Hastings are a a very special, uh, separate beast. Um, But it, it is so interesting that I feel like Ashley is uh, kind of putting the Hastings sort of tendency to buy their way out of problems on the same level as therapy and acting like, you know, it's hard to tell here because they don't really talk about it. Is she saying that therapy in general was a bad idea or just that the splitting up of the girls was a bad idea? I think she's saying that the splitting up of the girls was a bad idea, but I think she's kind of saying that the Hastings in that situation sort of used their money and status to steamroll everyone into doing what they thought was best. That's how I took it. Yeah, I did too. I just, you know, I wish that there was a little bit more, um, the therapy again was being portrayed a little bit more positively here and not kind of all rolled into the same thing. Um, But it also makes me curious, like, what, what skeletons in Peter Hastings closet does Ashley Marin know about? Like, what are the things that she has experienced him buying his way out of? I would just love to know, like, I'd almost love a show about the parents or an episode just like exploring the different things that they all maybe know about each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I feel like there's no end to the amount of philandering that Peter Hastings has done. And I feel like Ashley as a single woman in the town of Rosewood is probably, uh, is probably very aware of that. I would say. Totally. Totally. One thing I think is really interesting about this scene is that Ella has cottoned on to the fact that like something may be going on, like something may be wrong. uh, Something may be happening to her daughter and her daughter's friends and instead of reaching out to her newly reconciled husband, Byron, she goes to Ashley Marin to talk about it, which I think is kind of an interesting signal uh, that even though she and Byron are back together, uh, Ella at least has some reservations about his ability to deal with information in a, like, in a positive, proactive, constructive sort of way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she even says, like, I felt I felt like I needed to talk to another parent about this. Um, I, I also think that it speaks to um, that sense of kind of like community that we were talking about among the PLL moms, and perhaps this sense of like, we have to look out for our daughters, because none of the men in this terrible town are ever going to look out for them. Um, so that falls on us. Agree, agree. Um, back at the Hastings yard, Toby is working away. Um, and when he finds a hockey stick buried in the yard with the, with, uh, the name Hastings written on it 
on a piece of tape. Uh, it, the hockey stick appears to be broken. Peter Hastings appears out of nowhere and grabs the hockey stick. Uh, very, you know, super like super with a super amount of chill going like, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Toby. I'll take care of it. He takes the hockey stick away. Peter Hastings is totally planning on having Toby murdered at this point, right? <laughs> yes, I really think so. Um, he, like, I feel like if I found a piece of like broken athletic equipment in the backyard, I would just be like, oh, here's some broken athletic equipment. Like, it would seem like nothing, uh, except for the fact that Peter Hastings looms up and immediately makes it seem like something super suspicious. So, yeah, he's about to ask Toby to, like, just for no reason, dig, like, uh, you know, a six-by-six hole in the yard uh, as part of the landscaping project and, you know, just just leave the dirt there. It'll be fine. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, yeah. Don't worry about it, Toby. Don't worry about it. Um, and you know, he, he really could. I mean, there, it seems like there's nobody else back here. He could really. No, no it's just a nature preserve and uh, slash graveyard slash murder weapon palooza back there. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, French farce time. Uh, there's a couple with a baby that is preoccupied and Aria offers to babysit sometime. Prezra arrives and he has flowers for Ella and fancy scotch for Byron. Red flag alert, he pretends that he likes the scotch as well, but then admits to Arya in a whisper that he really just asked the guy at the liquor store what Byron likes. Because he's a giant phony! The doorbell rings again, and it's Jason, in a better suit jacket and with prettier flowers that he gives to Arya. Prezra's eyes narrow as he sniffs the wind and senses a competing male nearby. Also, Mike is not there. Yes, Aria offers to babysit. We know that that will end badly. That will end with that poor child in the hospital. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, Ezra, Ezra is here. He's, he's pretty obviously like flirting with Aria and also fishing for compliments. Um, Jason is also here with some smoldering eye contact for Aria, which will continue throughout the episode. Uh, Team Spoby are talking about the hockey stick, which they posit might be something suspicious, perhaps a murder weapon. Uh, and I, I love, I do really like how Toby like picked up on Peter's fear that it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just that Peter was like, it, it, like the idea that Peter is scared because Peter thinks that his one of his children might have murdered Allison, and you know it's a pretty safe bet he has so many of them. Um, they wonder if the stick was Melissa's or Spencer's, and this triggers us into, this is an interesting flashback structure. We go into a flashback where Spencer is coaching Allison on field hockey. Allie is considering her options, but Spencer points out that boys don't play field hockey. Maybe, uh, Allison is interested in somebody on the field hockey team. Could it be Paige McCullers? Could it be Spencer herself? I hadn't even thought of it being Paige McCullers! Ah! (laughs) you don't have to play the game to be interested allison notes we come out of the flashback and now sparia are on the phone talking about the field hockey stick maybe being a murder weapon we go back into a flashback seemingly in aria's mind now where um because i guess sparia have like a shared mind space in this moment jason has arrived he weirdly takes the field hockey stick from allison Play swings it at her. 
then she play swings it back, maybe not so play, and genuinely looks scared. This is a weird moment. I feel like Jason should come across as more high and or drunk here, but mostly he just seems like regular Jason. And he seems like... this seems like a very regular brother thing to do to like take a thing away from you and pretend like he's going to hit you with it when he's not like that, that really just makes him seem like a normal brother as opposed to an ominous figure. Um, But I really want to talk about these flashbacks. Like these flashbacks are actually not something that shows anything we're going to like need later for any, you know, future plot point on the show or anything uh, aside from like, the indeed shippy vibes between Allison and someone on the field hockey team could be Spencer, could be Paige, who knows. Um, But I do want to talk about how, you know, Pam Fields has previously expressed that pink haired Aria was basically a wild heathen. And while I don't agree with that view, I do say that like Aria's outfit here, I could clearly picture Pam Fields fainting dead away if she saw her in it. Because Aria is, she's tossing a field hockey ball in the air while wearing a hot pink and black cami with like half a gray ruffled pillow sham as a skirt with blocky floral pattern cut into her black tights with elfin Renfair boots. And this whole look is finished off with a single pink and silver metallic boomerang feather earring, which looks like it too could be a murder weapon if thrown with enough force. She looks like she's just escaped from a mildly dystopian circus. (laughs) Yes. uh, Young Aria is kind of coded as like a mini goth. I feel (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like if you'd only ever like heard about goths on the radio and never seen one well like pam field's idea of what a goth is maybe maybe yeah, yes a goth which is i'm sure how pam would refer to aria the, the goth. The goth. um when we come back to the present day spencer still on the phone with aria theorizes that jason might have killed ali with the stick and that his lack of memory is awfully convenient well, yeah, as opposed to uh, Ian, who actually tried to kill Spencer in the bell tower. So this seems to be a bit of a fuzzy thinking on Spencer's part. Well, I think that there's a there's a whole sort of um, subtextual thing, this whole episode of um, Spencer, Spencer, like this, this thing that we've talked about a lot, where like Spencer thinks that she might have killed Allison like there's this real part of her that thinks that she does and is just waiting for somebody to call her out on it while simultaneously trying to throw suspicion off on anybody else and also sort of like I feel like subbing other people into the role of murderer but all of the other circumstances being kind of what she thinks she might have done so it's like Yes, Jason might have gone crazy and killed Allison and his lack of a memory of it is really convenient. These are all things that Spencer is feeling about herself, but she's just subbing Jason in in this moment. And given their familial relationship that Spencer herself doesn't know about yet, that is super interesting mirroring, I feel. Yeah, and I think that I would be so curious to know the kind of direction that Troyan got in this episode because I feel like she is playing this a little differently than a lot of the like kind of bullheaded Spencer on the case things. She's playing it with this kind of like extra note of like fear or guilt that feels a little bit more personal. Yeah. And shout out to the way that Spencer just looks increasingly wrecked as this episode Mm -hmm. goes along. Like, you know, she looks like regular Spencer, 
when she and Toby are in the nature preserve part of the yard, she's offering to make him a sandwich. And then like, as this hockey stick thing, like surfaces and like keeps coming up and won't go away. And then there are all these other questions like Spencer by, by the final scene of this episode just really looks like she's been through the ringer and looks more like drugged out Spencer slash, um, you know, being in an institution Spencer uh, than we normally see her just in day-to-day life. Yeah, that's so true. I also, um, I remember hearing that in the whole like Spencer in the institution arc, they would have Troyan just have her hair, like her natural hair that's super curly and her hair is curly in this episode. Like she, <laughs> it's more like the regular Troyan hair. It's not straightened the way that we're used to seeing it as Spencer. Humidity equals guilt in Rosewood. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Do you actually, do you want to take this nice Hanley scene? Because I have a lot to say about the dinner party coming up. Oh, absolutely. This is such a fun scene. Um, so Hannah and Emily are, uh, are, are in the Marin kitchen. Emily is preparing to go study at the library. Hannah cannot understand why somebody would want to study at the library. She studies at the mall. Why can't Emily? Hannah makes the most adorable faces. She says, is this a gay thing? And Emily replies, no, it's a brain thing. Um, Emily, Emily, like, gets ready to leave. Caleb arrives. And Emily kind of unchar- is uncharacteristically sort of rude to him as she just sort of bounces. She's like, bye, and heads off. Um, Hannah lightly makes fun of Emily's studiousness before Hannah and Caleb recognize that they are alone in the house and they are going to make the most of this time together. I feel like Emily's hi, bye to Caleb. Uh, that actually is a gay thing. <laughs> oh, True. But, oh man, brace yourselves, everyone, because oh. we are headed into the cave of pretentious men, a.k.a. the Montgomery Dinner Theater Living Room Show. Prezra had plans to head to either Europe or Japan, but decided to cycle the Connor Pass on his way to carry. Byron, practically panting, asks what made him decide on Ireland. Well, his admiration for Joyce and Beckett, of course, made him want to see where they started. Byron, clearly wishing these other guests were not here so that he could just rip Prezra's pants off right now, is all, and you did it by bike? That's great. Thanks for the affirmation there, buddy. Byron's thirst in this moment is equal to the thirst that Spencer previously expressed when she saw Prezra bicycling around Rosewood. Um, That's clearly like the image that is in Byron's mind, like Prezra's thighs just, you know, rippling as he as he bicycles his, uh, you know, on a bicycle built for two. a great piece of the scene is Jason, who is politely listening with an expression on his face that clearly signals he thinks Prezra is a piece of work, which he is. Uh, Jason and the other male guest are, uh, you know, kind of gathered together during this chat, uh, while the only other female guest helps Ella with the women's work in the kitchen. Straight people in their wacky gender roles, am I right? Anyway, Jason encourages a father with a new baby party guest to go get back on his own bike by adding a baby seat. And once again, we have a conversation where Jason interacts meaningful with other people as if they exist. He goes on to say that he, Jason, 
uh, biked the Kona coast while where the lava fields were basically like biking on the moon. Prezra, who clearly hates Jason for also riding a bike, mutters into his scotch. That's intense. <laughs> this tender scene is disrupted by the doorbell ringing again. And who is the unexpected guest? It's Barry Maple! Oh my goodness. Uh, Barry comes in and announces that Mike has been arrested breaking into a house over on Morrison. And can they come with him to the station? Which Byron and Ella immediately do without so much as looking at their group of invited dinner guests. They just say Arya's name twice and ask her to stay there. People, please at least take five seconds to say, well, this is unexpected. Since we need to deal with the situation immediately, I'm afraid we'll have to ask you all to take a rain check on dinner. Arya, can you see our guests out? They do none of this and simply leave the third adult in their household, Arya, to entertain their guests, finish cooking, and serve the meal while they go off to the <laughs> Yes, yes, Arya is going to become the hostess of this extremely ill-fated dinner party. Again, a, a shining moment in parenting from Ella and Byron Montgomery. Now, I have a question for you regarding awkward PLL dinner parties. Okay. Okay, if you had to be a guest at one of the following dinner parties, which one would you choose? This Montgomery French farce turned police escapade dinner party. Okay. Uh, the Allison invites everyone over after Charlotte has been murdered to see if anybody acts guilty dinner party. Okay. The Hannah knows what Hannah means drunken fields dinner party. <laughs> Are Which there, one would you rather go to? Are there others? Are those all the dinner parties? Oh, God, no. Those were just like the those top three. You could also choose to go to the Maya meets Emily's parents dinner party. Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> where Pam nearly poisons Maya with shellfish. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, there are like, there, I, I, I could go on, but I'm, I'm just going to give you these yeah. as, a, as a test. I gotta give it up for Hannah knows what Hannah means. I mean, it like none of those would really be fun in real life. Like they'd be extremely awkward. But I don't know. I just feel like that at least that one has the most entertainment value. There is also the dinner party. There's also the dinner party in I think season six or season seven that's actually kind of the twin of this dinner party because it's that weird Jaria dinner party that Allison does where she's like watching Jason and Aria all night and like picks up on the fact that they slept together at some point. Do you remember this? And they're like- I Oh yeah, like is that a different dinner party than the Who Killed Charlotte dinner party? Yes, yes, oh, God. because Mary Drake I think is there. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she starts talking about like the plates that Jessica took or something like that. Um, yeah. I think there's I, no shortage. There's no shortage. There's no shortage. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I think I'll give it up for Hannah knows what Hannah means. There's also going to be the um, round two of Pam having Maya over to dinner, which I think is going to be like coming up in in like 2B somewhere. True, true. Um, yeah, I feel like there's probably a Hastings dinner party or two that we're forgetting. Um, oh, yeah, when they went out to the restaurant with Ren and wanted to play Hilo. <laughs> oh, God. Um, 
Yes. Yeah. What would you say? I mean, I feel like uh, going to a dinner party where the hosts have to rush out to pick up their kid at a police station, really, like, that gives good value as, like, a story that you can tell later on. Like, you know, especially because these people are, like, you know, these people are, like, adults of a certain age. They're probably not going to parties that are broken up by the cops anymore. So having the cops come to a dinner party and take the hosts away to go deal with their uh, delinquent son that that has some that has some nice stuff going for it but i agree hannah is a delight so any dinner party where hannah is that does kind of uh that does kind of bump it up on the scale yeah and i mean that that scene gave us a catchphrase like we can't we can't discount that and there's gonna be there's gonna be good liquor at the hannah dinner party true true yes pam and her little bar cart (laughs) rolling around um Toby is leaving Hastings Manor, which I feel like in this episode, we really get a sense of, of just how much of a manor this, in fa- this home, in fact, is. Uh, just as Peter arrives home, this is probably the most P- Toby and Peter will ever talk. Uh, Toby is uh, uncomfortable and um, kind of prods about the stick as Peter just tries to act like everything is normal. Peter doesn't want Toby to get the wrong idea because, of course, he doesn't. But also, maybe Toby doesn't have to mention the fact that the whole that whole stick thing to Spencer, when Toby says that he already did talk about it with Spencer and didn't know that he shouldn't, um, but that Spencer uh, Spencer didn't seem didn't seem to have any questions about it. Peter's face kind of uh, does a oh okay. Well, there's really no reason to mention this conversation to Spencer either. But by the way, what did Spencer think of that hockey stick? Did she have any thoughts on it? Toby lies and says she didn't. And Peter kind of gives a, a last tight smile as he says, good night, Toby. Thanks for all the hard work. And I feel like um, the, the end bit of this scene that we don't see is Peter like whispering into his wrist cuff uh, some order to like have Toby's car, you know, wrecked and, and wrapped around a tree on his way out of the Hastings Manor. I agree. I really feel like uh, Peter here, he's like in a spiral. He's trying to like compensate for his early squirrely behavior by like throwing more squirrely behavior on top of it. He is bad at fixing this problem. We really need like someone to become the Hastings family fixer. That's what's needed. Peter needs to have like a guy who's like his driver or in some other way, like the muscle who'll just like you know, who like find Toby in a dark alley and whisper a few things to him while punching him in the gut about, you know, like discretion regarding weird half hockey sticks that you find in the Hastings yard. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like a, a, a dark Willow-esque, you know, who do you work for? Who do you work for? N- knuckle crack thing. Yeah. I mean, Alex Drake is available. She's tending bar in England. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just saying that Peter maybe should have, like, given her a trial run with this job opportunity. Well, you know, he has Miles Corwin, his private investigator, who we learn about in season three. It's kind of weird that that character doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't come back here. But maybe the Hastings family fixer could be a recurring guest star on our, uh, our show Fitzgerald family fixers <laughs> that we talked about last season. Yes, yes. That oh, that's clearly what he needs. Um, over at the Montgomery house, Prezra and Jason are both still there. 
Arya is compulsively clearing the table and tells Prezra he was doing well and impressing her dad. Prezra, smugly. I was, wasn't I? And then Arya asks him if he practiced at home, which is a really nice, subtle dig. Uh, he adds, you know, some skeptical questions about Jason. Who is he? What's he doing there? Uh, Arya plays off that he's Allie's brother and that their moms are friends. She asks Prezra to load the dishwasher. No, this is the only thing. This is the one thing she's asking of him during this moment of crisis. And does he do it? No, he does not. He stays where he is so that he can better spy on her next interaction with Jason. Jason, who takes the coffee away from her and asks her to sit down and gets her to take a breath. They talk in low tones about Arya feeling guilty for Mike acting out and whether she knows how many places he's broken into as Prezra scowls from the dining room. Oh my goodness. I really love, um, I love though Jason's sort of angle on all of this because Arya talks about how part of her guilt around this is the fact that she's been getting all of this attention um, because of Allison's death and everything that happened at the bell tower and that Mike has not been getting attention from this and Jason very quickly um, says you know that this is misplaced guilt that she's experiencing but Jason has a very unique insight into the situation because Jason is also the brother that got way less attention than his kind of dynamic and enigmatic sister. And so uh, he can relate to Mike in a really specific way that not many other people can. I completely, completely agree. And just like Mike and Arya both seem to have uh, an interesting connection to Noel Khan, I could also see Mike becoming Jason's boyfriend if Arya decides she's not interested in him. Yes, yes. You know, I, you gotta say, I think that Mike and Arya might have similar taste in men. Um, I agree. Yes. Uh, over at the police station, Byron and Ella try to talk to their son, Mike, by shaming him for embarrassing them at their dinner party. Uh, it, I also was really recognizing that I don't think, in addition to not talking to Mike, I don't think either of them have made eye contact with Mike this entire season. Uh, Ella wants to know how they missed this and how they can do a better job of asking what's wrong. Uh, this is like a common question that Ella will ask and never seem, they never seem to like get any traction on it. Uh, and Byron is just sort of stuck being mad. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting scene here because Byron, I mean, his response is to just basically like shout at Mike and also, um, you know, like debate with Ella the appropriate amount of anger that she should have. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's a nice moment too when Mike kind of asks, how was the dinner party? Because that kind of opens up the possibility that Mike got caught on purpose to embarrass his parents, which I find myself really loving Mike in this episode. Uh, you know, not so hardened criminal that he is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that something that's really kind of a unique difference between Arya and Mike is that even though Arya has been really furious at her father for the whole affair thing, I think that Arya is still kind of um, still kind of like glamored by by Byron. Like I think that she's still in that same way that Ezra can impress her. I think that all of that Byron can kind of work his charms on her in a way that I think Mike just sees right through and doesn't really have any patience for. And that Mike, uh, I think, sees Byron for 
the really pretty terrible husband and father that he is. Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely agree with that. Um, but the whole situation, <clears throat> by the time everyone is in the car, everyone is mad at everyone else. Yes, and nobody is talking. Ella had all these words about how they were going to talk, and nobody is talking. Indeed. Um, back at the ranch, Prezra and Jason are waiting each other out to see who can overstay the longest. Jason tries talking to Prezra, and upon finding out that he was a teacher at the high school, asks if he had Aria. Prezra startles. Like, what do you think he is asking here, Prezra? Gross! <laughs> Aria is now upstairs going through Mike's closet where she finds a burgle bag, a fancy camera, I think Emily's camping gear, and the vase that Jenna made in that pottery class. This sets off her internal Jenna alarm. Like, it's just going off lights and sirens. She just touched a thing that Jenna touched red alert she rushes back downstairs and hilariously hustles both of her man friends out of the house prezra is absolutely indignant when she says they should go what both of us yes he then tries to say do you need any more help cleaning up no he doesn't even look like he wants to walk away when he's outside the door but social norms require him to walk away when jason does instead of hanging petulantly around and knocking on the door again like he clearly wants to aria runs back upstairs to investigate further yeah this moment reminds me of the scene uh in in scream when um when Randy and Stu are both trying to get in the house and uh, Sydney has the gun trained on them both and she doesn't know which one of them is bad and she just goes, fuck you both, and slams the door. I feel like that's what Arya wants to do in this moment. She's like, get out of here. Um, Caleb are up in Hannah's bedroom. Possibly they just had sex and put all their clothes back on. We don't really know. Um, Caleb is finishing up a phone call with a client. Um, and notes that Hannah, he knows that Hannah doesn't approve of his sketchy stuff. Caleb doesn't want to open up about the more shady things that he's done, but Hannah kind of like completely and adorably sort of plays him by starting to talk about the merits of hair extensions, which gets Caleb to open up. He starts talking about how two years ago he was working with some actual bad guys in Allentown, doing things which included hacking into the DMV and laundering VIN numbers. It was just a matter of time before someone got hurt, so he got out. But the guys weren't happy, so Caleb had to bounce. Caleb has been through some stuff, you guys. Hannah suggests going to the cops, um, but Caleb says he's not about to do that. And Hannah recognizes that Caleb has never told anyone this. And if they haven't had sex already tonight, this moment of vulnerability is sure to get Hannah's motor going. <laughs> so, so true. And also, I'm just going to point out that, so Caleb... Uh, in this moment is confessing that he was previously involved in um, a, a ring that did, you know, car theft on orders that he was hacking into government databases. So Caleb is admitting to, uh, you know, certainly some, some felonies here. Uh, Mike has just been found to be burgling these houses and uh, neither of them, like we never hear about Mike having a court case. We never hear about, uh, anything really happening after this, which is like yet another example of dudes on this show being held accountable for absolutely nothing, whereas the liars are constantly going to be arrested for things like digging up a pair of boots. 
Very true. Very, very true. Uh, Speaking of men who are never accountable for anything, Peter Hastings is in front of a roaring fire at the Hastings Manor, and he is about to add a certain field hockey stick to the blaze. Spencer tries to physically wrestle it away from him, but Peter is strong and determined. He tells Spencer that he is tired. Veronica is tired. They don't want any more questions. Spencer protests that it could be important. And then Peter says, like the trophy you found? He says, it doesn't matter what it is or how it got there. It's nothing. It's over. Ian Thomas is in a grave that I paid for. He can do whatever he wants with junk found on his property. It's nothing. It means nothing. There's nothing to see here. Nothing except a fake murder weapon correctly being tossed into the fire. Oh, I love this scene. I actually weirdly feel for Peter here because he is at the end of his rope. He thinks that he's believe that he believes that he's protecting one of his children, possibly his daughter who is standing right in front of them. Um, he feels like he might have a murderer living under his roof or perhaps under the roof next door. Uh, we don't need more evidence now that Ian Thomas is in a grave I paid for. Possibly the line of the episode, possibly the Hastings in a nutshell. Um, Peter physically here is ever seen. His tie is loose. Spencer is. Um, I feel like approach this whole situation from this place of just tell me I did it. Like, there's this weird sense of longing to her, I feel, in this moment of, like, what do you think happened here? Um, and, and this next scene, which I'll just take us into, really um, kind of, she gets to comment on this a little bit. Spencer and Toby are, I think, in that same place on the outskirts of town where they like to have their, their big moral conversations. Uh, Spencer recognizes that her father might have thought she'd killed Allison, um, but now she thinks he thinks she was just wanting attention and planted the the fake murder weapon hockey stick. But I believe that her first instinct was correct, that uh, that he did think that she might have killed Allison and that on this instinctual level, there's just sort of this knowing like this this thing where she's like she just feels it. She just feels it in her gut. And it's so great. Um, Toby assures her that they'll figure out you know, what actually happened. Spencer tries to piece together the timeline of um, from the time when Allison left Ian to when uh, when she got murdered in the yard. Toby posits that the cops might actually know what the murder weapon is, that cops tend to always keep some information back. Um, you know, Toby's going to be a cop soon enough. So he knows. Yeah, Toby was also recently work. arrested, so he might have some other insight into police processes. I also really like in the scene how uh, when Spencer suggests that Peter thinks that she could have killed Allison, Toby, <laughs> Toby, like very comfortingly says, like, how could he think that? No one could think that. Well, yeah, nobody except like the whole town really recently when Spencer was a person of interest in the case. But OK, who could possibly think that? I have no idea. Gosh, I mean, more and more rewatching these early episodes, I'm I'm wishing like there's this part of me that is wishing that Spencer had killed Allison. Like, what a what a twist! And and you know, I think something else that I'm and maybe my feelings on this will change, but like, 
I do really think that the show probably would have been better if Allison had been killed. Yeah, in a lot I, of ways. I hate to admit that, but I went, based on the fact that when they brought her back, they never really knew what to do with her. Um, I have to agree. Yeah, as as we've talked about before, Spencer was always my favorite solution for if one of the girls was a because I just love the idea of like how hard she has worked to solve the mystery and how great it would have been if she had actually just been chasing her tail. Uh, basically the whole time but we never we never got that ending we just got her weird british twin (laughs) who who didn't put allison when we when we look at all these murder weapons i i was just thinking it's so funny how pll constantly has episodes and like arcs that are devoted to the murder weapon uh, you know, we have these, then later we have, uh, you know, later there's going to be a golf club that Aria is searching for. We get like a, a luggage rod that Emily is searching for and being like menaced by a giant truck and has to hide on a roof in order to like try and get. And the thing with PLL is there's actually never a murder weapon except the natural surroundings. Like the murder weapon is always like a rock, another rock, or possibly the same rock, the the wall that somebody gets knocked against you know like there's never an actual murder weapon of any kind well and weirdly the one time that there is when aria um well there's a couple there's like one or two times when there is but it's like not it doesn't end up being significant like there's like aria killing shauna with like that musket like yeah and then that the musket stage, just like they like... just say like evanesco and it vanishes into the room of requirement and is never seen again right or like emily stabbing cousin nate and that <laughs> doesn't mean anything you know like it's i feel like it's it's like they're only uh, significant when they need to be but one of the things that i like about this episode is that um, we don't go the usual route with this murder weapon. It's not like the murder weapon gets like stolen by somebody and like planted somewhere and like the police end up with it and like this and that and this and that. It's it's just that Peter just Yeah, and it's also it's interesting you know? because Spencer really struggles against that at this point. And then later, uh later there's gonna be the knife that is found that maybe killed Mona, and Spencer's instinct is gonna be to destroy that as soon as possible. So it's interesting the way that like the way that this is kind of teaching Spencer. Like, when you have a murder weapon, this is what you do with it. And how does Spencer choose to dispose of that? She goes to the, you know, as never before seen, like, Rosewood kiln and tosses it in there and she and and Caleb almost die. I mean, I'm going to have a lot to say about that when we get there, but, like, that kiln is basically, like, a classroom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that they just imagine everything in it gets incinerated on a regular basis <laughs> and then recomposes itself like all the shelves but be that as it may oh man yes okay dateline yes. hannah's room she's telling emily that caleb told her something without saying what it is uh emily's fine with having no details she has enough secrets uh at this time She's glad that she's at Hannah's and she's glad Caleb came back for Hannah because she and Hannah have just so much love and support for one another. Hannah Lee forever. Uh, just then a door slams downstairs and Emily and Hannah jump up to spy on a drunken Tom and Ashley canoodling and eventually climbing the stairs to head to Ashley's bedroom together. Ashley 
really gets the most action of all the moms. It's really true. It's really true. Yeah, that's uh, that's an awkward moment for Emily and Hannah to witness that together. You know, Emily's probably wishing that she was at the much much more chaste field house in this little in this little interaction. Um, but as if as if um, as if this question wasn't already on Hannah's mind, Emily asks, "Is your dad getting back together with your mom?" Well, yeah, because Emily is like. Um... The, the Pam that has grown inside of Emily in this episode uh, clearly has, like, very mixed feelings about, like, um, you know, probably about, like, premarital sex and, and now, like, sort of postmarital sex that the Marins seem to be having. So there, there's a lot going on. <laughs> World Compass there is just spinning there on its totally axis is. right now. I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> it is. Aria deposits the bag of stolen stuff to Mike, who is indignant that she went through his stuff. Um, <laughs> Aria brings up the, the clay pot and says, you know, you stole from a blind girl? To which Mike basically replies, yeah, I've broken into every house in town, but not the Kavanaugh house. I may be a sullen teenage thief, but I'm not a weirdo, Aria. Um, Mike reveals that he got the part that pot from the apartment of Officer McFriendly, a.k.a. Garrett, then reveals that he was breaking into that apartment to steal a gun to get away from he it says, all. He wanted it to we use to get out of town or something. To get out of town. But, okay, I feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's a few ways one can read this. But either way, we just completely brush past this very key fact that Arya, your brother, was trying to get a gun. Um, because Arya is, you know, already, already, like, the Jenna has been mentioned, Jenna has been, like, summoned, her spirit is in the air, and now Arya has to ruminate on this for a few moments. Mike knows what he stole and where he stole it from, and once again, the terrible priorities of the Montgomery. Yeah, this is like, okay, so, first thing, where are Byron and Ella? (laughs) Why... Why didn't they search Mike's room? This is a thought that I have. Why was that left to third adult Aria Montgomery? Like Mike's right to privacy, but he was caught breaking into a house. There have been other break-ins lately. It seems like a thing that they might do is look through his stuff uh, to see about other things he may have stolen. Uh, but they're not doing that. They're off. Who knows where? They're they're off, like, having the dinner that was in the fridge that they had prepared for their dinner guests um, and fighting. <laughs> but so that's one thing. Where are the Montgomery's? Number two, like, I do feel like uh, when Mike mentions that he was looking for a gun, that is something that should flag everybody's attention. Like, whether you think that he, he is obviously having trouble with depression and anxiety and uh, someone in that state looking to steal a weapon doesn't seem like a, a thing that should be, like, glossed over or encouraged uh and also when he says that he wanted to use to get out of town well what's he gonna do is he gonna like rob a bank is he gonna like carjack a vehicle what is he gonna try to sell the gun on the black market for money like we really need some more information about what exactly his plan was there 
But as you've said, uh, the Jenna alarm is just blaring in Arya's ears and she's not, you know, she's not paying attention, which is too bad because Mike is much more communicative with her here than he has been with anyone else who's talked to him about the burglaries. So he's actually giving her information. And for a long time, actually, this was, um, I thought they were doing something clever here uh, before I knew that it was all for naught. Um, I thought he says that he stole that vase uh, and a fancy camera and a GPS. So the fancy camera is hint one that Garrett is in the NAT club. Uh, but I actually thought that the GPS was going to be important somehow. I thought they were like doing a, Hey, look over here, dazzle camouflage with the gun. And then the GPS was going to turn out to be like something about where Ian was or something about where Allie was. But of course, nothing. We never hear about any of this again. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I guess we could talk a little bit about Mike. Like, what is what are they doing here? The writers, like from a meta standpoint. Um, everybody is clearly really like it seems that everybody is really checked out where Mike is concerned. Um, but it's not like Mike is a character that we are hugely like going to be hugely invested in throughout the run of the show. He just kind of will float in and out as is convenient. Um, and really this whole storyline basically just serves to uh, reveal this information that there's a connection between Garrett and Jenna. So are we as the audience supposed to be like, wow, Arya, like you really screwed up here. You're really doing a terrible thing. Or are we just sort of supposed to be focused on the reveal I think our attention is supposed to follow Arya's. Yeah, it's just it's such a glaring thing to. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Well, that's why I thought they were like slipping a clue in on the back end, but that is not what they were doing at all, unfortunately. Yeah. One thing I'll say about Mike, though, is that. uh, PLL has a terrible track record at dealing with people who are suffering from mental health issues. Um, but I do, uh, I do think yes. it's interesting that that is something that is declared later about Mike. That that's something that he's dealing with and that the different ways that Byron and Ella think that that should be handled uh, is actually one of the few conversations that we actually ever hear people have uh, regarding treatment for any mental health issues that any characters on the show ever suffer from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that's uh, very but true. at any rate speaking true. of garrett uh spencer is in his car in a back alley she wants to ask him what killed Allie, if anyone knows uh he says it would be in the coroner's report but again all the loose ends lead back to ian that's who killed allison and he is dead now spencer isn't so sure Some radio calls are coming through, and while Garrett attends to them, Spencer gets a text from Arya warning her that they cannot trust Garrett. Garrett turns his attention back to Spencer and asks if Ian didn't kill Allison, who does she think did? And then we pan out to the overhead shot of how alone the two of them are. And again, we have to shout out how increasingly wrecked Spencer looks as the episode goes on. By the time she is in Garrett's car here, uh, her hair is frizzy her face is pale and she just looks like she's been awake for about two weeks nonstop. 
maybe she has been. Um, yeah, yeah, this is great. It's it. There's really this this ominous sense that Spencer is in serious danger in this moment. They seem so isolated here. Um, our A tag. This is a one of our a great creepy A tag here. A is listening to a cover of "I've Got You Under My Skin." I'm preparing a lovely HGH skin cream cocktail for one Miss Emily Field. Uh, We see a, uh, you know, getting the steroids and and inserting the needle into the cream um, with, you know, with some charming background. Yeah, and this is actually, uh, we were talking at the beginning uh, before we started podcasting about this episode being kind of a filler, but a nice character episode. It doesn't have anything that's going to be hugely important to the plot as it moves forward. Uh, but you mentioned that Emily doesn't really have a plot in this episode. And in that way, I feel like this is a precursor to post time jump Emily, who, if she doesn't have a romance going on, really doesn't have much to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of like um, some episodes of sex in the city where you'd randomly get to the end and you'd be like, wow, Charlotte didn't have a storyline this whole episode. Um, yes, yes. But, but this is a good one. I mean, I think the dinner party provides so much, uh, so much, so much meat. Um, even if the guests didn't get to eat any of it. Uh, (laughs) yes. But if you have thoughts on this episode, you can send us an email at everybody, a podcast. If you have a different answer for what dinner party you would prefer to attend. Yes, if we forgot an important dinner party that you want to make sure gets uh, gets its gets its due time, you can send us an email. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Um, we'll Save back. the date, I believe. Episode. Save the date, which I think, you know, the, I feel like this episode also drops a little tease about what's to come. It's time to put on some candy striper outfits because the liars have to get yes that is what happens the headline of next week is that the candy striper outfits are here oh and not a moment too soon um yes and we if you want to give us a rating and review on itunes that would be wonderful um yes Yes, till then talking about the next episode Thank you.